I'm going to try it in 45 minutes to give you the digested version, and then those of you can stay longer, we'll talk about it. Um, I want to walk you through John. I want you to see what the Apostle John is trying to tell us. Um, but first, let me say, I grew up in the Southern Presbyterian tradition. I was taught Calvinism from my mother's womb. I learned the child's catechism. I was working on the, the, uh, what's called the shorter catechism. I have a 13-year perfect Sunday school attendance pin from my church. I do. I am a very church Presbyterian. Uh, and somewhere in the middle of that, those years, and I loved, I loved growing up, and I loved uh, the sermons because the sermons and the pastor is still at the church 50 years later. But he was theologically minded, and he was biblical. So he steeped us all in the Bible and theological questions. My dad was a lawyer. Both of my brothers, now older and younger, turned out to be lawyers. I should say my dad was a lawyer and a judge and a retired general from the National Guard. And then my mother was the smartest one in the room. So I know how to argue and I know how to study and think and wrestle. And somewhere in the mix of that, probably I think around 10 years old, I remember it. I remember sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning and these verses start floating across my mind. Verses that I had been taught in that church in Sunday school. And if you continue in my word, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Peter talks about joy unspeakable, full of glory. Paul talks about the glorious liberation of the sons of God. Jesus says, I am the light of the cosmos. The one who follows me, or as I like to put it, the one who takes sides with me against the way they see. This one will never, ever walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. These verses floating right across my mind, and I didn't know it. There's no way that I could have known it at 10 years old or 9 or 11, however old I was. But I realize looking back now that the Lord was asking me a simple question. And that question was, are you willing to agree that what you are experiencing in American Christianity is the freedom that Jesus promised? Are you willing to agree that what he meant by the glorious liberation, what Paul meant by the glorious liberation of the sons of God, is what you are experiencing in North American evangelical Christianity. That's the question he was asking me. Is this the joy unspeakable? And he wasn't condemning anyone anywhere. He was asking me what I thought. And apparently, I must have said no. Because that's what my life has been about. Um, I in no way say that I have arrived. I am searching I know Jesus is the answer. And the question has never been, is Jesus the answer? The question is, how is he the answer? And that, that question has taken me into theology, into seminary, across the big pond to study with Professor James Torrance, one of the great theologians of our day in Aberdeen, Scotland. And so I'm still on the quest. I know it's Jesus. But I can see that we still have monumental blind spots we still read the story in a certain way. And I want to show you tonight, just walk with you, how Jesus has taken John's gospel in particular. I love Paul too, but of late I've been talking more. Is that okay to move that just a little bit? Um, but I want you to see, because John is the last book written in the New Testament. Did you know that? John is the last book written in the New Testament. He wrote it apparently when he was a very old man. He may have been looking over 30, 40 years, maybe even 50 years of the early church history. 
And as an old veteran who knows Jesus, who was the beloved disciple, he's looking and he sees a devastating problem that's already brewing in the very heart of Christianity. And he sets off from the very first word of his gospel to nip it, as Barney Fife would say. <laughs> Some of us older people know who Barney Fife was. <laughs> so I want you to see, because John has blown my mind in the way he sees Jesus. And you and I grew up in what's called Western Christianity. Most of us grew up with God's up there. He's watching. Adam and Eve failed. Uh, and God is angry at the very least. He may be disgusted and full of wrath and rage if you grew up in, this, in a situation like I did. Um, and Jesus comes to take care of business so we can all get a ticket if we believe in Jesus and go be with that God forever. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some serious psychological issues there because I don't think any of us want to go be with that God. We really don't. Our children don't. So we're all playing church in our Western conversation because we've got this God that we're not sure how he actually feels about us. And if he pours out his wrath upon his son in order to be okay with me, I got serious issues with that because I don't want to go hang out with that person because sooner or later, whatever he was angry about with me that he poured out on Jesus is going to flare up again. That's what's going on inside of our, our minds. But that's not what Paul and James and John or Peter are teaching us about Jesus. And I want you to see this. So if you're, if you're willing to walk with me, I want you to see what John does in his gospel. He starts out, very first verse in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and this life was the light of humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't understand it. How many of you have heard a series of sermons in your life on Jesus Christ as the creator of all things? That's more than I've ever... No, Jesus, not God, the creator. Jesus Christ, the creator. In this church. Yeah. Yes. Amen. That's more hands than I've ever seen raised. So there you go, Mike. Good, good work. I, I want you. What'd you say? He's over there mumbling again. Uh, I want you to see this because John dis, does this deliberately. And I want you to notice with me that this is not in chapter 21. Are you listening? This is first one of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word that he uses for with there is pros, P-R-O-S. And it doesn't mean to be sitting side by side like you're sitting side by side. That would be called with in our world, would it not? What John sees is he sees in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with, that is turned toward, face to face with the Father. You, do you see this? In, in your mind and in mine is not this face-to-face -face relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. What we grew up with is that God up there who's watching us like a hawk from the infinite distance of a disgusted heart. You with me? That's not where John starts. He knows that's where we start because he's part of the same tradition. And he says, no, I want you to start here with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face-to-face -face with God. He was God, and He was in the beginning face to face. He repeats it twice because He knows we're not going to believe it. In the first two verses, He repeats His point twice. Are you with me? I want to know, Western Christianity, why haven't we been talking about this for the last 2,000 years? Yeah. 
because something has derailed our minds. And we've been talking about the solitary God up there somewhere watching us. Let me tell you, when you see this, you already know the gospel. When you see this, you already know who you are and why you are here. And you can begin to believe, I, am, I was created to be included in this circle, and in fact am. Verse 3, the, re the second part of the revolution in John's gospel. You have a Bible? Who's got a Bible open? Anybody? Phone Bibles don't count. <laughs> Listen to verse 3. Are you listening? Let all the earth be silent. St. John Chrysostom has a series of homilies on John's gospel. And the first three, he says, listen, I know you get dressed up to go to the football game. I'm, I'm modernizing this. You get dressed up to go to the theater and go out to eat. And you prepare yourself. You put makeup on. You got nice clothes. We are about to hear from the disciple who leaned on the breast of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be quiet and listen to him and give him a little honor. Because he knows Jesus. And he's saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with the Father. And the Word was God. All things came into being in Him. And I know Jews, you're not going to believe that. And I know Calvinists, you're not going to believe that. So I'm going to repeat it. Not one thing came into being apart from Him that's come into being. Are you with me? All things, all things have come into being. I've got one. I was just seeing if y'all knew the Bible, if anybody cared one. Was that gold dust? My point is that Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. That's not John. That's not Paul. That's not New Testament. That's not early church. We are the ones that have lost our mind and the Holy Spirit's calling us back right now. That's who you are. I don't have to convince you of this. You already know it's true here. I'm just busting up some strongholds in your mind and I'm helping you see it right there in John's gospel. He's the one that says all things came into being in him and apart from him, not one thing came into being. What's left out of that? And the apostle Paul in, in Colossians Chapter 1, verse 16. I like the way he does it. You can see the same exact thing coming through in Paul. For by him, he's talking about Jesus, the incarnate Son, by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. Dude, what have we, what Jesus have we been talking about? What the apostles are telling us is that this is Jesus's world and you belong to him whether you know it or not. And the only air that exists in this cosmos is Christological air and we come into be, being breathing it. And we've inherited a tradition that gives us ambiguity about the face of the Father and doesn't even tell us about Jesus, the real Jesus. In fact, we come from a tradition that's going to grant the existence of the whole creation apart from Jesus and take the position that it's the church's job to get an absent Jesus into the human heart. I know this is blowing some of your mind. That's good. It's, the, it's what Jesus means. If you hang with me, you're going to know the truth. And the truth's going to set you free. 
not Baxter, not your religion, not even your faith. You're going to get to know who I am. You remember in John 1, when Jesus sees Nathanael under the fig tree? And Nathanael comes up and Jesus says, yeah, I saw you under, under a fig tree. And he goes, whoa, man, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus goes, <laughs> you confess that I'm the son of God and the king of Israel because of a prophetic vision? Let me tell you, truly, truly, I tell you, y'all will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man because I am the one in whom all things in heaven and on earth meet. Then you're going to have something to believe. Not a prophetic vision, but who I am, Jesus is saying. That's what John sees. And he's telling us in the very first part of his gospel, and we have been so blind, and it's not our fault, and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying it's time for us to come back to our home. And back to the truth that sets us free, back to the river of living water that begins to flow in us. What John wants you to come to understand, this is why he wrote his gospel. He wants you to come to the place where you can get, sit down and say, Jesus, are you in me? Seriously, Jesus, are you in me? You as the Father, Son, the Anointed One, the Creator, Sustainer of all things. Jesus, are you in me? Because John knows you're going to hear, I am. And you're going to get to live from I am, not from religious performance. Not from what the pastor tells you. Not from what your mom and daddy shame you into doing and believing. You're going to actually get to live from Jesus' own I am, which is the name of God, inside of your own soul. And you know what John called Jesus calls? That's the river. He's the river inside. But he sets us up from the beginning of his gospel when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is face to face with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning face to face with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, not, not one thing came into being that has come into being. That's why I left Calvinism, John 1, 3. Calvinism does not believe that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. It talks about God and common grace. John doesn't talk about God and common grace. He talks about the Father and the Son. And he says, all things came into being through this son, and not one thing has come into being apart from it. And then he says, in him was life, and this life was the light of humanity. And then the next verse, he says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. It doesn't comprehend it, and it doesn't conquer it. But let's back up to verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light. So here he introduces for the first time, the words life and light, which are going to be themes that run all the way through his gospel. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And it's beautiful because <laughs> all of Jesus' I am statements are not invitations, just so you know. He's not saying I will be the light one day if y'all all believe in me and make me Lord. I am the light. I'm the one that created all this. I brought it into being. You're here because of me. That's why I'm the light of your life. John, Jesus tells us that, but John is introducing these concepts in verse 4. He says, in him was life, and this life was the light. So you tell me, based on the first four verses, first three verses of John's gospel, what is the light? All right, Jesus, good answer. We know that from John 8, 12, Jesus. Is that it? Which Jesus? Which Jesus Christ? The son of what? Or whom? The, the one who's face to face with the Father. You see, because John doesn't think of Jesus 
as a single person or a single pearl on the string of pearls, he thinks of Jesus as one who has an eternal relationship with his father. So the light is this face-to-face -face relationship. You with me? The light that's in Jesus is his own relationship with his father. Now, John, and we don't have time to do this in 45 minutes, but John's going to bring the Holy Spirit right up into the middle of this. And he, he teaches more. He gives us more insight into the Holy Spirit than anybody, even Paul. Uh, but that's the Holy Spirit. And it really should be like this because there's, they're turned toward one another. And the Holy Spirit's the light in, in which the Father and the Son see one another and love each other. And there's two chapters in in uh, the shack revisited on the Holy Spirit. So you can get that and read that if you want more there. But the light then is the relationship of the Father and the Son. Is that it? Is that it? Read verse 3. The You see, for John, the light that he's talking about, this in Jesus, is his relationship with the Father in the Holy Spirit. And what else? And our inclusion and creation in this relationship. Are you with me? He's already told us in the first two verses, first three verses, what the light is and what the life is. And then, then he introduces, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand it. And you read commentaries on this and people are like, well, why didn't he define darkness? He doesn't say what the darkness is. He doesn't tell us where it comes from. What's he talking about? He's going to fill out what he means by darkness, but I can tell you he's already told us. Can I see that he means that we're the darkness that You're getting mighty close. <coughs> if the light is Jesus' relationship with his Father in the Holy Spirit and our being created in him and through him and by him and for him, then what's the darkness? The darkness is anything that blinds us to this relationship and our origin in it. You with me? So the lights, anybody walking around telling us that Jesus and the Father and you got this other God up there are not one and the same in person, and, I mean, in, in essence, in nature, and anything that's telling us that we're not included in this. You with me? You see this? The darkness is anything that is telling you that you are separated from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is where the light shines in our darkness and it's going like and made that light so shine that, that our, it's like an old sock. Holy Spirit, reach into the sock of our Western mind and grab the toe and turn it completely inside out in the light of Jesus. Because John is saying, here is the light. This beautiful relationship of face-to-face, other-centered, self-giving, sacrificial love between the Father, Son, and Spirit, and our creation in it. You see, we can say Jesus and not mean Father, Son, face-to-face. -face. We can say Jesus and sing hymns to Jesus all day long and not be the, say, say the creator and sustainer of all things. You with me? But when John says Jesus... And when Paul says Jesus, they're talking about this one who's face to face with the Father and the one who called all things into being and continues to sustain them such that if Jesus withdrew himself from creation, what would happen? Disappear. This is the testimony of mainstream historic Christianity all the way back to the apostles. 
John Calvin teaches the same thing in his commentary on John 1.4 and his commentary on Acts 17. We have not been taught this. So what Jesus have we been taught about? What relationship? And so if you start with God creates as opposed to the Father in the Son and the Holy Spirit creates all things in Jesus, you got two different worldviews here. And you're going to have two different reasons why God would create us. And you're going to have two different understandings of God's reaction to Adam and Eve. And you're going to have two different understandings of why God called Israel. And you're going to have two different understandings of the nature of the cross. And you're going to have two different understandings of the nature of Christianity. And it's all going to be left on you to work out in your life. And thank God we're at a place in history where we've been doing that long enough. We know it's scubula. And it's killed us all. And it's bored us to tears. And it's exhausted us. And now we're saying, Jesus, oh my goodness, was ever I a blind idiot? This is the truth that sets us free. Let me tell you, the truth is true before you know it. You don't make it true. People that, I've heard this my whole life, you need to pray to make Jesus Lord of your life. Seriously. You, if you make Jesus Lord of anything, who's Lord? You need to wake up and know who you are by knowing who Jesus is, the light in his face-to-face -face relation with his Father. And this, this, this Father, Son, and Spirit called, created you in this relationship, and we don't believe we're in it. And when you don't know who you are, what do you do? You walk in the darkness. So what's the darkness? The lie that we're separated. What do you do if you believe you're separated from God? You're going to create a way back. Okay? And let's say you create a way back, and let's call it 135A. And you convince all of us that you're right. And the minute we say, yes, you're right, what have we just done? Not only are we operating in darkness, even if we can find Bible verses to go with it, the minute we do that, we are now against everybody else everywhere else in the world. Because we have to be right. And so we're going to spend our time proving that we're right and everybody else is wrong. Is this not starting to sound familiar? Yeah. And we're going to elevate that argument all the way to the Ph.D. level. Seminaries, denominations are born out of this. Then your group's going to come after us. We're going to come after you. Then your group is going to come after us, and we're going to come after you. And we're all trying to prove we're right. How embarrassing that we're trying to argue that our way back to God is the way in, and the whole time we've been in, we were born in. That's the gospel. That's the light of the world. And it's shining in our darkness and saying, you're going to let this stuff go? If you do, you will be free. If you don't, get on that hamster's wheel one more time. Go for it. That's exactly why it creates wars. And this is why this is the revolution. This is what we're talking about tonight will change the world because I'm not looking at you the way I was taught to look at you. And I'm not looking at you the way I was taught to look at you. And you're not looking at me. Because all of a sudden, I'm looking and I'm seeing Jesus and His Father and the Holy Spirit. That changes the way I see you and you see me. You with me? Just that quick. Just that quick. That's the power of the gospel to arrest the human heart and to blow our minds and say, man, have I ever... Jesus. Jesus. Here's what we're not going to say when we meet Him. Jesus, I, I overestimated you. Seriously. Seriously. We're going to go, oh my goodness, man. I, Jesus, I thought you were only as big as I could make you. I thought I made you the light of the cosmos by my faith and my repentance and my religious obedience. I thought I was the one that was making all this happen by my goodness. 
So you see now we've got a hint about who we are. We now know that darkness and sin is not something like moral failure. Darkness and sin is fundamentally delusion. Adam and Eve became delusional in the garden because they were hiding from this relationship. And they believed they were right. So the biblical story is not how can God forgive moral failures. The biblical story is how can the bridegroom who created us as his bride, and we have lost our minds, and not only lost our minds, we think he's the enemy, and we're running from him, and we won't come to the light. How is the Father, Son, and Spirit going to reach that person, that group of people, that bride? You with me? This is about a marriage. This is about Hosea. This is about the bride of Jesus having lost our mind. And so you're going to see in John's gospel, he's going to develop. How much time do I have? I mean, I'm... I want to honor this, but I want you to, I want you to see. Okay, good. We're good. I'm trying to get this into 45. This is set a record. John has told us what darkness is. Darkness is losing our minds. We don't know who we are, and he's going to build on this in his prologue, and then he's going to keep building. And I want you to watch this because this is setting up you and me to understand how John understands the nature of the cross. If you start with G-O-D, who's angry and is full of fury and wrath, then Jesus goes to pay God off. If you start with creation in Christ and it's lost its mind and doesn't know the Father, you got a different divine agenda here. And I want you to see what John is saying. Verse 8. John the Baptist was not the light, but he was sent that he may bear witness to the light. There is the true light which coming into the world enlightens everyone. Listen. You're not going to believe this is in your Bible. He, the light, Jesus, was in the world. Not absent, but present. In the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. This is the insanity of darkness. That he's not up there watching us from a distance. He's actually been with us all along, and we did not know him. And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. In other words, they rejected him, his own people. I think that refers to people of Israel. So Athanasius, who's one of the great early church leaders, he said in section six of his great little book on the incarnation of the word of God, which he wrote when he was 21 years old. And it's not a long book and it's very readable. Uh, Athanasius in section six says, what then was God being good to do when his creation was on the road to ruin and lapsing into non-being? What then was this God, the Father, to do when his creation was on the road to ruin and lapsing into non-being? He says in another place, the God of all is good and supremely noble by nature. Therefore, he's the, he is the lover of the human race. Let me translate that, what Athanasius is saying. What then is the bridegroom to do when his beloved wife that he created to live and share in his life with his Father and the Holy Spirit, what then is the bridegroom to do when his wife has so lost her mind that she doesn't know who she is or who he is and doesn't want anything to do with him? You with me? Now you're beginning to understand, and now you see what John is saying to us. And so, and so, the Word becomes flesh. He's got an argument running here. And Jesus is not going to stand by shouting prophetic messages to us to hope we will get it. My bride has lost her mind. I'm going to find a way inside her darkness. 
And I'm bringing the Holy Spirit and the Father with me. And we're going to turn the lights on. And she's going to see in a whole new way. And then we're going to get to dance for eternity. You with me? This is you he's talking about. What would you do if your daughter or your son, and some of you have walked this road before in your own journey, what would you do? You just give up? I told you not to do it. You won't listen to my prophets. You're not paying attention. This Father, Son, and Spirit don't do abandonment. They created us for life, and life it will be, and they will sacrifice themselves in order to get inside every delusion so they can turn the lights on and we can see what they see. Jesus is not content with giving you a Bible verse you can memorize. He wants you to have His eyes. He wants you to see what He sees when He sees the Father. And the Father says, you are my beloved. He wants you to feel what He feels in the anointing in the Holy Spirit. You with me? Now, let's fast forward. Fast forward. Let's get Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the dark. And we'll go to John 5. This is a stunner. By John 5, the religious establishment and the professional religionist are on red alert because dude, dude named Jesus is in town and he's got like life. And it's exposing our religion as being pretty dead. So they're already trying to figure out what to do. And they get into a huge argument with Jesus. I think this is the Sanhedrin, which is the 70 ruling elders, the big boys, the big players, have been called in. <laughs> so Jesus squares off with them. And they're standing here in front of him. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, verse 37, And the Father who sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. He's talking to the Pharisees. And let's just for sake of argument imagine that by this stage Saul of Tarsus has been called in because he's like top, top of the food chain of the Pharisee. So let's just say Saul's standing right there and Jesus says, you have never seen God's form or heard his voice ever. And you can feel the steam coming out of Saul's. Then he says, and he says, and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe him whom you sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them they, they have eternal life. It is these that bear witness to me, and you are unwilling to come to me. You've never seen my father. You never heard his voice. You don't have the word of God abiding in me, and you're unwilling to come to me. Then he goes on down. He says, and I know you. You seek the glory that comes from your fellows rather than the glory that comes from my father. And I know you. You don't have the love of God in your heart. You want to know how Jesus feels about the fall and the devastating effects of darkness? There it is. Right in front of us. This is not just a moral problem. This is a delusional problem that has left us in complete darkness about who God is and who Jesus is and who we are. And when I read that verse, that, that section there, I'm thinking, John, uh, I thought this was called a gospel. This is like you just shredded us, you know? And you think, modern evangelical theology in preaching this is where it, its folly is exposed. This is where its folly is exposed. You can see Jesus came, lip quiver. He died for you and you're unwilling to come to him. He goes back, dad, I gave it all. I laid down my life and they didn't want me. That's where, it, that's where modern Christianity ends. It's up to you. But let me tell you, and either, either that interpretation or the interpretation that the Calvinists bring to it, which is as ironic as it can be, that, that the elect within the elect, which is the Sanhedrin, are the end up to be the ones that are not elect. And Jesus is just giving them a heads up. 
Oh, yeah, there's two groups of people. There's those who are loved and those who are not. Guys, I'm sorry. You've never heard the word of God because you're not meant to. You don't have the love of God in your heart because you're never going to have it. Of course, that's not what John is saying. It's not what Jesus is saying. Or what John is saying is, look, and I think, I do, I think Saul was there and I think Jesus said, Saul, you have never heard the voice of God or seen his form. And you don't have the word of God abiding in you. And you don't have the love of God in you. Give me three days, brother, and we'll have an entirely new conversation. Because I am not a prophet who has come to point out your failures. And I'm not a prophet who's come to tell you the way back. I am the word of God in whom you live and move and have your being. And I have come to address your blindness and get to the bottom of it. I've come to get my bride and find my way inside her delusion down at the very bottom. Because I don't do abandonment and I refuse to let her go. So fast forward to John 17, last part of the verse of the prayer. It's a stunner. John 17, 26. And read that in the light of what I just said. Jesus, Father, I have made you known to them. And I will make you known. In order that the love with which you love me. Remember, you don't have the love of God in your heart. I'm coming to deal with this in order that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them as the anointed one. You see that? This is the mission of Jesus. We've got it all tangled up with an angry God and Jesus going to suffer wrath from God so we can get a ticket to go to a place called heaven when we die. Jesus is saying, I'm coming because you're going to see what I see. You're going to feel what I feel. And we're going to get to live in it together for all eternity. And I take responsibility for my creation. My, my father... My own earthly dad graduated to the cloud of witnesses in March. And I remember the last couple of years his, he was losing his capacity to communicate. And I sat there and I thought, you know, is the message of the gospel to my dad? Hang on, dad. You got to hold on to your faith. Don't lose even a quarter of your faith. Because if you do, I wrote that verse down on post-it note and put it in his bathroom and put it by his bed. Father, I have made you known to Don Kruger and I will. I take responsibility for finding my sheep in their delusion in order that the love with which you love me can be in them and I in them. That's the gospel. You don't hope in the quality of your faith to get you across some supposed divide. It's a delusion. You hope in Jesus having come and found you. And he won't let you go because they don't do that sort of abandonment. You with me? Amen. All right, let me say John 17, 26 one more time. And then I'm going to show you one other thing. Father, I have gotten inside the darkness. That's what Cross All Worlds about. Jesus inside our darkness. I have made it. I'm inside the darkness, Father, and I have made you known, and I will make you known. I take responsibility. I'm the good shepherd, the creator. I'm not just a prophet. I will make you known in order that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in him. When Jesus had spoken these words, he proceeded forth and crossed the Kidron Valley. And he looks up and coming down the Kidron Valley is what? John wants you to see these two things connected. The next verse, he looks up and he sees Judas. And Judas is leading a band of soldiers. And he's leading, listen to this. Now Judas, who was betraying him, knew the place where Jesus had often met there. And with his disciples... Judas, having then received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, showed, knowing all things, 
Note that language. All things, his whole creation is turning against him. Knowing all things were coming upon him, proceeded forth. And he said to them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said, I am. And Judas, who was betraying him, was standing with him. And Judas, therefore, when Jesus, therefore, said, I am, he, they drew back to the ground and fell. Again, therefore, they asked him, Jesus asked him, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. So, and he told them, I told you, I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these other go their way. I said, John, how can you go from Jesus, I have made you known, Father, and I will make you known, to Jesus standing up and seeing the Roman soldiers and Judas and the temple police coming? What, why did you? And you can almost hear John say, duh. I won't show you how Jesus gets inside your delusion. He doesn't wave a Harry Potter magic Christian wand. He doesn't speak from outside. He's going into the bottom. How's he going to get there? John says, look at what happened. Jesus looks up down this valley comes a Roman cohort. Do you know what a Roman cohort is? I didn't know this. I never paid attention because I'm trying to read John's gospel in the light of the angry God who's going to pour out his wrath on Jesus. I'm looking at this. What is a Roman cohort? A Roman cohort is 600 to 1,000 armed Roman soldiers. Let's just say 500 armed Roman soldiers in formation coming down that valley with lanterns and torches and weapons. You see the imagery? Flanked on the, on the other side by the temple police. That's the Levites. That's the, 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 the Sanhedrin's lynchmen. Here, get you know, the little piece of paper that comes out and not go make, make that disappear. John doesn't tell us how many there are, but he said, Mark says a multitude. He's painting a picture of the most bizarre thing in human history. You got Jewish temple leadership in bed with Roman soldiers being led by a betrayer. And you think, if you're like me, I'm thinking Jesus is going to walk up and he's going to be the messianic Lord that we all think he's going to be and he's going to kick butt and take names. He's after his bride including those Roman soldiers and including those temple police. And it is astounding what happens. He says, whom do you seek? And, he, and they say, Jesus, the Nazarene, because nothing good can come from Nazareth. And Jesus says, ego I me, which is the name of God. And they fall out on the ground, a Roman cohort, the temple police and Judas. And I can see Peter. He's Barney Fife. I mean, yeah, I want him. <laughs> I, that's what I would do you can feel it John has painted this amazing picture and then the next thing that happens is it says that the cohort and the commander which is a kiliarch which is a commander of 1000 and the priest the temple police bind Jesus and take him away and I'm reading thinking, if you can say I am and get victory over everybody, what happened? Why are you, why, John, what are you trying to help us to see? He's trying to help us to see through our doctrine of God and the way we think God wins to see the way God really lives and, and, and finds us in our darkness. And, and Jesus is saying, no one takes my life from me. Your murderous plot will be accomplished only by my submission to you in your darkness and bring it on. Because I want it all. I want to get to the bottom of it. And they are going to curse him and beat him and damn him and mock him and scourge him, which alone would kill most people. Yes. Which alone. Then they're going to hoist him on that cross. And they're going to lift him up. 
And they're going to say to God the Father, this is our response to your gift of Jesus. We give him back murdered and brutalized. We hoisted him up. And you can feel the Father saying, I, I know. But let me tell you, I accept you in your apostasy. I accept your betrayal and your treachery and your covenant breaking faithlessness. And I will meet you there and turn your rejection of my son into the new covenant. Okay, you want to know how God works? I will meet you, Judas, in your betrayal of Jesus, and I will turn your rejection and betrayal of my son into the salvation of the cosmos. Now we're talking about the biblical Jesus. Now we're beginning to have something go off inside of our hearts that's way bigger than what you can make so by your faith and repentance and religious obedience. This is the word that's being shouted all across the world and people are being awakened. This is the new covenant. You think the new, you think that the Father, Son, and Spirit are saying, well, I'm going to go give them some instructions so they'll be, they have real faith and they can make a real covenant. No, Jesus, Papa, you know they're going to betray me. Yes. And we're going to turn their betrayal. We're going to turn their betrayal into the temple where we dwell. In fact, Jesus, their betrayal of you is going to be the way you are lifted up between heaven and earth and the angels of God are ascending and descending. And people are going to see that and go, oh my goodness. Now I have something to believe. You with me? This is what John is telling us. It's almost like he wrote his gospel because he knew the Western church was going to get lost in his head. And it's bizarre doctrine of God. If we would have stayed with John and with Paul, we wouldn't be in the mess. And it's okay we're in the mess. It's okay. We're right on schedule because the revelation is dawning right now. And it is about Jesus and his relation with the Father and our creation in here. And let me tell you, when you understand that your part in this, let me put it personally. The most liberating thing I have ever experienced in my life is when I realized that what my father and my brother and the Holy Spirit counted on from Baxter was not my faith and not my repentance and not my obedience and not my goodness. They counted on me to betray Jesus. And they turned my betrayal of Jesus into my adoption. I didn't get in because of anything that I did. I got in because of their love for me and my betrayal. That means for the first time in my life, I can rest in Jesus because I'm not trying to do anything to get there. You with me? And now I can ask Jesus, but John, as he tells us, in his, he's leading us in his gospel, Jesus, I didn't know you were this big. And I certainly didn't think that God wins by submitting to us in our delusion. Who saw that one coming? We're still waiting. American evangelicals still waiting for Yahweh, the overlord, to come in and kick butt and take names. Let me tell you, John in, his, in the book of Revelation, in that throne room scene, he is, John is aware that he is the last prophet in the entire biblical story. And he's going to give us the definitive metaphor for the nature and character of God. And he sets us up for it. He says, I heard the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's kicking in all our militaristic powerful, sovereign Zeus theology and mythology. And turn and behold, I saw a little lamb on the throne alive as though slain. He said, you want to know who God is? That's who God is. That's who this Father, Son, and Spirit are. They don't win by domination. They win by mutual submission. And they have submitted themselves because Jesus never does anything by himself. When you see him submitting himself to Judas and to, and to the human race, 
Jew and Gentile and we damn him. That's the Father and the Holy Spirit coming in Jesus. And let me show you one last thing and then we'll stop. Take a break. You remember how I said earlier that I think that Saul was there when Jesus says you don't have the word of God in you. You don't have the love of God in you. And I really, there's no exegetical or historical way to prove it to date. But I do think that Saul was there. I think he was spitting nails. And I think that Jesus just had a little grin. You don't have the love of God in you. You're unwilling to come to me. You're not, you don't have the word of God abiding in you. Give me three days, Saul. I'm promising you. This is not going to be a theological argument. Listen, listen to this from Paul, Galatians. But when he who set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. You see that? You, know, you want to know how to stop a Pharisee? You turn the lights on and he meets Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and anointed one on the inside of himself and he's inside of his own darkness. Not a word. Not a word. You just blew my mind, Jesus. I got to have three years to rethink everything I thought I knew and I was sure. And I was killing people over because I thought I was right. This is the way the gospel works. It's the deck is stacked. If I didn't believe that Jesus was in you and in everybody else on earth and he did that by virtue of our betrayal of him, I would never open my mouth. Because you know what it would mean? It would mean I have to travel around the world and convince you that my theology is right. And then I got to keep convincing you that my theology is right. And I got to spend my life arguing with everybody who's arguing against me when all I got to do, all I get to do, and it's my privilege to stand up and say, Jesus has made his way inside your delusion. Ask him. You ask him. I don't want you to agree with me. I want you to hear Jesus. And because then when you hear him say, I am, that's your new manna. And little by little, you're going to get to live from him. And what Jesus is going to say is, Baxter, we're going to start with my father. I want you to take sides with me against the way you see my father. You see, and here's what sin is. Sin is, is me saying, Jesus, bless your heart. You just don't know what it's like in the real world. Why don't you come join me in the way I see God? You see, Jesus is saying, I'll join you, but I'll never agree with you the way you see God because you've lost your mind. So let me show you my father. See my father with me. And Baxter, Baxter, let me teach you about the Holy Spirit. And this has been the best part of my life. The Holy Spirit, because I was so scared of the Holy Spirit. And Baxter, let me teach you about you. Because you have some really warped things that you believe about you. And while we're at it, why don't you let me teach you about your enemies? Why don't you take sides with me against the way you see your enemies? Because I promise I see them different than you do. And I promise if you will take sides with me, this is repentance, metanoia. If you'll take sides with me, I'm going to lead you to an experience of life that you can't conceive of right now in your darkness. I'm going to lead you to see things that you can't even imagine. Because all I'm going to do is teach you who my father really is. And you're going to actually get to live in his embrace with me in the anointing in the Holy Spirit. And you're going to get to love others for their sakes, not for what they, you can get from them. And you're going to get to not have to argue with everybody on earth. Who knows? You may even get to be friends with people that you used to spend your life arguing with. Who knows? You see, it's, it's all there in, in this vision that John sets before us. This is the only way America is going to be fixed. It's the only way any ism, sexism, racism is fixed is when you begin to see that Jesus is in you and he's in everyone and you begin to see he, Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit and you begin to relate to them in the light, not in the darkness. 
It changes everything. In that day, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Amen.